Yeah, so celebrate the wins, and we, we have said that we are a committed church to the next generation, and that's part of why we do what we do, and uh, I love our team, uh, I love the pastors that I have the privilege of working with, and Seth, your leadership as you continue to emerge and develop and grow uh, is an inspiration to all of us, so thank you for that. I know you give all the glory to the Lord, and that's how we want to go, and that's sort of the theme of this message that we're going to be looking into today. Uh, so we're finishing up our uh, series on Genesis uh, in the beginning, and uh, today the title of the message is A Foreshadow of Redemption, and I want to kind of lean into this with you a little bit. You know, when you study this ancient text, and many of you have actually read through uh, the book of Genesis with us over these weeks and stuff, that's awesome, it's great to be able to go through. Uh, when you read these ancient texts, you see God's plan unfolding um, oftentimes despite the failings of the characters that are involved. And the other thing that you might start to notice, and maybe you even feel this in your own life, is that God's plan often is unfolding, often on a timetable that doesn't seem quite fast enough, right? I mean, we look at God, like, God what are you waiting for? Uh, but God's not in a hurry. But his story and his sovereign plan continue to unfold. And so we've seen through this series the notion of creation and fall. Today we're going to talk a little bit about the foreshadowing of redemption. And then as we go through our series, going through the Bible, we're going to hear more and more about restoration. So today a foreshadow of redemption. I want you to think about this for a moment. Maybe a grounding thought for you. There is a great miracle of coming into a relationship with God that when we get it right, we stop living for our own glory and find joy in living for His glory. So let me say that again, because some of you are thinking about this and some of your lives tell this story. Some of your lives are beginning to tell this story, though you're maybe discovering what this really means at a deeper and deeper level. And some of you might even be thinking about, what would my life look like if this was true of me? That there is a great miracle of coming into a relationship with God that when we get it right, we stop living for our own glory, and we actually find great joy in living for His glory. So I'd like to take you to a fascinating portion of Scripture. It falls right in the breaking point between where God is working in a general sense with the world, Genesis 1-11, through and between that point and where He begins to work with His specific line of people, His family, His people, that is Genesis 12-50. through this is between the fall of Genesis 3 and the promise of blessing in Genesis 12. We come to the account of the Tower of Babel. How many of you are familiar with the Tower of Babel? Sort of a fun story. I've never preached on this passage. And some of you are maybe thinking like, dude, you are way out of order in the sink of this thing. Weren't you, in Genesis, weren't you guys in Genesis 50 last week? We're going, well, here's what I want to do. To wrap up the message, I want to actually backtrack to this pivotal point and bring you to a passage of scripture, though I've never preached on it before. Actually, that's not true because I preached on it last service, but before this Sunday. Um, but I find it to be a profound example of one of the great tensions that begins after the fall and continues all the way throughout biblical history and all the way to today. And you don't have to dig very deep into the study of history or the study of culture to realize that we are still grappling with these kind of questions. Are we truly self-sufficient? Can we establish security apart from God? Can we fix our world? Can we fix ourselves? 
And whose glory are we actually living for? Those kind of questions, so relevant in the scripture we're looking, and I think very relevant for us today. So I want you to turn with me in Genesis chapter 11. We're going to read the first nine verses of this chapter today. Genesis 11, verse 1 and following says, Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. And they said to each other, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used bricks instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build, for ourse- build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Verse 5. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people, the people were building. And the Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world and there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. May God add blessing to the reading of his word this morning. Uh, just as a quick overview of this passage, it's kind of a, a sort of a fascinating section of scripture. This is after the flood, but it's before the promises have come to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the people of God set in place. But we have this sort of pivotal moment where God is interacting with people in kind of an interesting way. Technology in ancient Mesopotamia had improved. In other words, they were finally able to build bigger and build better. The tower that is referred to here was not an uncommon thing in that day or age or place. It was known as a ziggurat, likely, and it probably looks something more like this. Some of you are thinking like Jack and the Beanstalk, a tower that's going to reach up to the heavens, but you want to probably see it as something more like this, okay? Uh, It's wide, it's big, it's expansive, it's bulky, it's heavy, it's strong, very permanent, Uh, a big uh, statement of their ability to to build differently and better than they had before. One commentary says this, this episode is significantly more important than its length suggests because it presents a unified humanity using all of its resources to establish a city that is the antithesis of what God intended when he made the world. The tower is a symbol of human autonomy. The city builders see themselves as determining and establishing their own destiny without any reference to the Lord. And this is what I want us to bring our attention to a little bit as we think about what is the struggle that you see in your own life that we see in our own world today. It is none other than the spirit of Babel. And what I want to look at with you today is what that, how that spirit shows up. And lest we think that that's simply a problem that's out there, what I'm going to suggest to you today is it's a problem that's very much in here. It's very much in me. And it's very much in you as well. So we have to wrestle with this with our old nature. So we're going to look at this spirit of Babel. First, I want to talk about the self-glorifying spirit of Babel. If you're taking notes, you can write that down. Self-glorifying spirit of Babel. And I'm going to suggest again, it's alive and well. Verse 4 says, let's come build a city, build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name 
for ourselves. Uh, John Piper, speaking on this particular area of Scripture, he says, you know, it's pretty obvious that the, the, the crux of this uh, passage comes down to what we see in verse 4. There's actually four aims that they have. They aim to build a city. They aim to build a tower in that city. They aim to build a name for themselves. And then finally, they aim not to be dispersed through the earth. And these different aims are interconnected. They, they build a city so that they don't have to be dispersed. They build a tower. Why? So that they can make a name for themselves. People are going to look at this thing, they're going to look at this accomplishment, and they're going to be amazed at what we have done. Now, the city and the tower, they are outward representations of a sinful heart. And we can put the, the kind of specific naming of that sin on the table, because the fact of the matter is, it's my sin, it's your sin, it's the stuff that we deal with. Ready for the first one? The first is this, the love of human praise. Anybody say amen to that? I mean, it doesn't matter kind of who you are. It doesn't really matter where you are on your journey. And though it may look different in your life than it does in mine, every single one of us, on one level or another, we are riddled with and dealing with this issue of the love of human praise. I want to feel like you think that I'm important. You want to feel like your life is important. In fact, it draws us into the place that we would rather feel better than somebody else that is a heart that is twisted to the love of human praise you don't like disapproval you don't you don't like if i disapprove you don't like if anybody disapproves of you the interesting thing with this is there is a relational dynamic that happens here uh, when we see ourselves as wanting to be the center it actually makes all of your relationships worse. You notice that? I mean, it's a common thread. Every single one of us deal with it, and yet in every place that we actually try to implement it, it makes our relationships worse. And so we might even ask ourselves the question at this early point in the message, why is God doing this? You know, is it maybe he's just a little insecure, right? God's like, well, I don't know. They're building this thing, and it looks pretty good. Maybe the competition, so I better go kind of put them in their place. Or maybe, and I think I want you to see this as you go through this message, maybe God in his mercy is actually delivering them from something. So there's this love of human praise. You don't like to be disapproved of. It shows up differently in your life as it does in mine, but it shows up every time. Uh, the second one is just a love of security. There's an idea that I want to be able to control my own destiny. I want to be able to make sure that when nothing bad happens, I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure that me and my stuff is taken care of. And so the people in this ancient time, they're gathering together. They say, look, we can build a city. We can take care of ourselves. We can build a tower so that when other people look at us, they will see how great we have become. And where is the need for God in all of this? And God says, I want to deliver you from that. It's an empty pursuit God's will is that we find our joy not in the praise of others, not in our self-determined security, but that we find our joy, that we find our identity, that we find our security 
in him. And this is the wrestling match that continues all the way to our day. And what we see throughout Scripture when you read the rest of Genesis and then you continue to go is that the human heart doesn't get better. It doesn't evolve in that way. In fact, those same stubborn things continue to show up. Let me make this personal for you here this morning. Talk about the self-glorifying spirit of Babel being alive and well. Have you ever noticed that there are a disproportionate number of unhappy famous people explain that to me you know we all grow up hoping that our lives matter hoping that we would be gifted in some way or be able to do something to some extent and some of us actually are some of us actually have a greater level of talent or ability and so we've been able to rise in a field or rise in notoriety so why is it that there is a disproportionate number of unhappy famous people Now, this is not to say that there are not a lot of unhappy, non-famous people, because I've met a lot of them too. Nor is it to say that every successful person is miserable by default. But many of us, throughout our generations, regardless of when you grow up, you can look at some of the most famous people, and oftentimes, though they have incredible talent, you also find incredible insecurity. You also find inability to hold relationships together. Very simply individuals were not meant to be worshipped there is something that we do and why we do it so efficiently I don't know but in every generation we elevate people we put them on pedestals we put them in spotlights we we name we name tv shows things like you could be the next American idol right I mean this is just ingrained in kind of who we are and what we do is that we want to worship something So find somebody who's really good and worship them and what we end up finding is that their soul begins to wither under the weight of something that they were never intended for in the first place because just like you and me, that person with immeasurable talent was actually designed to be a worshiper. Not to be crushed under the weight of their own self-glory and self-love but actually to give glory to something that is greater, someone that is greater individuals are not meant to be worshipped and I think when you look in your generation and you look across the landscape what you will see is that is the answer of why there is a disproportionate number of unhappy famous people humanity was not meant to be worshipped and when we get this inverted which I'm making the argument we this this is the problem we have this inverted when we invert it we find greater proclivities toward abuse of power toward paranoia, toward the breakdown of relationships and the breakdown of health. I'm going to give you a really extreme example. Uh, It's not a wrong example, but most of them aren't quite this on the nose. But let me give this to you. Uh, The example of Howard Hughes. How many of you know who Howard Hughes is? Okay. If you don't know who Howard Hughes is, ask somebody who raised their hand. They're probably older than you. Uh, Howard Hughes died in 1976 but he made, a, he made something of himself in his life. One writer uh, described it this way. All he ever really wanted in his life was more. 
He wanted more money, so he parlayed inheritance and inherited wealth into a billion-dollar pile of assets. He wanted more fame, so he broke into the Hollywood scene and soon became a filmmaker and star. He wanted more sensual pleasure, so he paid handsome sums to indulge his every sexual urge. He wanted more thrills, so he designed, built, and piloted the fastest aircraft in the world. He wanted more power, so he secretly dealt political favors so skillfully that two U.S. presidents became his pawns. All he ever wanted was more. He was absolutely convinced that more would bring him true satisfaction. Unfortunately, history shows otherwise. He concluded his life emaciated, colorless, sunken chest, fingernails in grotesque, inches-long corkscrews, rotting black teeth, tumors, innumerable needle marks from his drug addiction. Howard Hughes died believing the myth of more. He died a billionaire junkie, insane by all reasonable standards. So I say that examples may be a little bit on the nose and perhaps much more extreme than what we see in every day-to-day example. And yet we can put this together and say, why would somebody who had everything die in such a way? Like literally sort of sold my soul to get the world by the tail and I lost it all doesn't seem to make sense from an earthly perspective except that the self-glorifying spirit of Bible is alive and well and it is a non-starter so that when we say to ourselves in maybe lesser levels if I could just get to that next thing if I could just establish myself if I could just find my way forward to set I would finally be happy the problem is you would still be you and you need to deal with your own heart So the self-glorifying spirit of Babel is alive and well. It's a non-starter. Here's the second thing I want you to see from this passage today. There's an entrepreneurial spirit of Babel that is also alive and well. This is where we see the Lord saying, as if as one people speaking the same language they began to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. You see, it is deeply ingrained in us to make order out of chaos. That's what we said on week one of this series. We look at our world and we think about how to make it better, how to solve problems. It is a part of being made in the image of a creator God. And this is not a bad thing. This is where we actually find a lot of purpose. This is where we find a lot of living out life in a way that feels like it matters. And we don't want to simply look at problems in our world and say, well, we're just not going to do anything, but we actually try to make a better change in our world. But as stewards of the world around us, here's the weird catch. It seems very hard to solve one problem without causing at least one other. And many of the solutions that we come up with our entrepreneurial spirit end up falling apart because they still are not quite a match for the maladies of the human heart. Are we grounded and centered in a way that allows us to handle our own success? Or do we continue to become victims even of our good intentions? Here's another just kind of interesting example from this last week. Uh, Some of you are financially minded, and so you might know the letters FTX. Does that ring a bell for anybody? FTX. Thumbs up or thumbs down? Thumbs down. (laughs) Don't buy crypto right now. Yeah, so if you haven't followed any of this, uh, the FTX is a, is a large, uh, I've, got, I've got a quote here from Sam Bankman-Fried. 
Uh, he was known as the world's most altruistic billionaire. SBF, as he liked to be called, was a superstar in the cryptocurrency world. It's interesting because everything has sort of fallen apart right now. He's lost billions of dollars, lots of lives that have been ruined uh, because of mismanagement and bad stuff going on within their, their system. Um, but I went back and I was reading some articles about him from a year ago. And a year ago, you know, the praise of man was all over this guy. You know, he's a rising star, superstar, he's smart, he's, he's, he's ahead of the game. Uh, and the, the, here's the best part, he's a billionaire, but he wants to help people out. So he was actually saying things like this, if you have that quote there, he's trying to figure out what practical things can you do with your life to have as much positive impact as you can on the world. How can you not love a guy that's rich and smart enough to get all this stuff and then just wants to help other people? But today, after losing billions of dollars and ruining countless, of li countless lives, it seems that Sam and his team were not able to outrun the broken proclivities of the human heart. And this is the story of humanity. This is not a new story. I mean, I'm reading articles from two days ago. But this is not a new story. We've been seeing this again and again and again. It's a story of humanity, good intentions with broken outcomes, as if we still need help even as we repeat the mantra, we've got this. We finally figured out how to do it right. Now, if you've indulged me this far, let me just take you a little farther down my, my little rabbit trail. What does Aaron think about when he's uh, reading the news, etc.? Can we enjoy technological breakthroughs without weaponizing them or being destroyed by them? I think if you want a perfect modern-day example of the Tower of Babel, do some reading on our collective progress in the area of artificial intelligence. Some of you are like, if, if you've read anything, you know exactly what I'm talking about. This frontier is growing like crazy. It's already making your life more efficient and well-ordered in a lot of ways, but the fact of the matter is nobody quite knows where it's heading. So the leaders in the field, some are saying, we're heading for a world that's just going to be this utopia where artificial intelligence has everything figured out for us, it's going to be good. I have a tendency to be skeptical on that because every time we think we're heading for utopia, we find a way to screw it up. All the way back to the space of Babel. Some people are saying that artificial intelligence may be the greatest threat to humanity right now. I hope that's not true. By my estimation, I would say this, as someone that's on the outside looking in, AI has the potential to become the little G God of our lifetime, wherein we would say, look what we have created by the work of our hands. It thinks faster than you. It processes complex problems better than you. It can write a novel in the form of your favorite author or music, and it reads your medical results better than your doctor. Look what we have created. We have made a name for ourselves. William Booth, who was the founder of the, you know that guy, don't you? He was the founder of the Salvation Army. Um, well, you don't know him. I think he died in 1912. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You know who he is. He worked for the Salvation Army. Um, put his uh, quote up here. This is really fascinating to me. In the spirit of the entrepreneurial babble kind of spirit, William Booth actually said this. He said, The chief danger that confronts the coming century will be religion without the Holy Ghost, 
Christianity without Christ, forgiveness without repentance, salvation without regeneration, politics without God. Interesting. Heaven without hell. And when I think about this quote, sort of, sort of haunting in a way, but I think what he's getting at is this, that we in the human experience, in our own spirit, we have a tendency to go after the rewriting of God's plans in a way that makes better sense to us. Which is essentially saying we're, we're going to contain control or we're going to even use a good talk about God to make sure that we can still kind of get the things that we want. And so what do we end up with? We end up with a religion without God in it. We end up with Christianity in name, but no Christ in it. Forgiveness without repentance. That'd be a lot easier, right? Salvation without regeneration. Politics without God. Heaven without hell. Even uh, each of these examples represents our desire to do things our own way. And this goes back to the spirit of Babel. Here's the last one I want to just touch on with you. The self-deluded spirit of Babel is also very much alive and well today. It's in me, it's in you, it's in our world. The body is willing, but the spirit is weak. Uh, let, let me ask you to think about this. Again, just personal, uh, real-life kind of question. I wonder if you had asked people 50 years ago to describe the way that we would engage with one another in our culture today and try to describe to them how your social media footprint would be, right? So here's what you do. You set up this thing that's like all about you, okay? And then you tell people what you ate for dinner and you tell people how great your life is and you tell people, and, and you, you do this, why? Well, you do this actually because, you know, we all have this need to be self-love. So this is going to play right into the spirit of Babel, actually. But we're going to do this in such a way, and then all of your friends will actually be jealous of you. Because they're going to think that you're living a life that's actually a little bit better than it is. But the weird thing is, you're actually going to be jealous of them at the same time. That's sort of the downside. Because you're going to look at your life and you're going to know what you're writing isn't really what you feel in your heart, but you put yourself in the center of this thing and you put yourself out there and now you're kind of jealous of other people because maybe you're not quite as shiny as you'd hoped that you would be. Or far along in your career. Or maybe your kids aren't as cute or well-behaved or smart in school or whatever and you're looking at everybody else and they're raising these stupid little models. You know what I'm saying? And so you try to explain to somebody from 50 years ago, no, this is actually normal, and we all do it. And they would go, what the heck are you doing? Living for your own glory. No, 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 we're not doing that. <laughs> it's just, I'm sure it's something else. It's an interesting thing. So this self-deluded spirit of Babel um, and I'll just say this too I, again I mean I'm reading articles now that are saying like social media might be like ending you know because it's, it's gotten so you know it's, it's all about trolls and it's all about fake news and it's all about this that people are just sort of like I just have to go somewhere else you know to find actual conversation or actual relationship that might be a good thing for us we'll find out we'll see how it all pans out I would ask this question though now that we're a couple decades in on the journey 
How has that worked out for us? You know, I, I have a deep burden when we talk about ministering to the next generation. I have a deep burden for, for young men and women who have been brought up in a world where they're being crushed under the weight of their own anxiety and comparison and all of this kind of stuff. It is not an easy world to live in. And so there may be some like, you know, we've got to stop doing it our own way and find a way for God to bring some healing even to what we've done to ourselves, etc. I, I won't go way down that road. Uh, self-deluded spirit of Babel. Let me just give one last example on this. Um, do you know Joaquin Phoenix, the actor? He's a great actor. He does, he does some good work. You know him, right? Um, so he won the best actor in 2020. Um, in, interestingly, um, he won this for his role in the movie Joker. Um, which I haven't seen, but I'm, I'm familiar enough with, that basically Joker has essentially become a modern-day commentary on what happens when society just completely implodes. You know, when doing it our way doesn't work, what do we kind of end up with? So it's interesting, and he wins the best actor for this. So he gets up and gives his acceptance speech, and so I have this uh, here for him. Uh, this, was, this was actually from his... Uh, from <laughs> from his uh, YouTube video where he's giving this thing, the speech that broke the internet. I would really love it if maybe people could just say, it was a good speech. You know, like, <laughs> everything is like the best speech ever heard. I, I don't think it was the best speech ever heard. But he's giving this acceptance speech, and, um, and he's noting his shared love of film, and he begins then to address problems in the world. He says things like, we become far too egocentric. We act entitled when we engage the natural world. We fear personal change. All of which I would say, yeah, I think these are true statements. And then he says, but listen, I want you to know that human beings at our best are so inventive and so creative and so ingenious, which I don't think is untrue. And he says, if we use love and we use compassion as guiding principles, we can create and develop and implement systems of change that are beneficial to all sentient beings in the environment guys we got this we can do it this is the deluded spirit of Babel that continues to say generation after generation after generation we have what it takes inside of us to fix our own maladies and the question generation to generation to generation is how is that working now, he went on to say this, and I thought this was really fascinating. He said, I've been a bad guy, but I've gotten second chances. And he said, I think that's when we're at our best. And I agree with him. When we help each other to grow, I agree with him. When we educate each other, yeah, I agree with him. And then he says this. When we guide each other toward redemption. The foreshadowing of redemption all the way back to Babel was we're going to do this ourselves. And everything that we need is right here. When we guide each other toward redemption. I mean, people criticize pastors for using churchy words. It's about as churchy as you can get. But the focus is totally misplaced. We're going to fix ourselves. And that is the best of humanity. Now, I don't say that actually from a critical spirit. I actually say that to see that there is a deep longing in the human spirit for redemption. That when we have people who are not necessarily people of faith, 
but saying there is brokenness in our world and somebody needs to do something. The question as old as Babel is how do we, as old as Babel is how do we get there? The delusion is that we will finally miraculously get it right and then we'll make a name for ourselves that will show how great we really are. It's interesting to me that Babel is also a forerunner to Babylon, which biblically becomes synonymous with grandeur and achievement, but was ultimately bound for destruction. And that's a whole other study on a whole other subject. Maybe we'll get to. Uh, worship team's gonna come up and, uh, conc- uh, and take us out of here in a minute, but let me give you this conclusion. A couple pieces I really don't want you to miss from this. I said to some of our staff, said if a message that involves Howard Hughes and artificial intelligence and the FTX uh, scandal and crash of Bitcoin, um, if, that doesn't, if that doesn't throw you off too much, then just let's focus in on, on this. Let's conclude it well. We'll land the plane. There is a deep, ingrained desire for self-rule, for self-glorification, and self-redemption. That is not a new thing. That is not a problem in the young generation. That is not a problem in the old generation. That's a human issue. But this, listen here, this is precisely what needs to be extracted if we are going to be truly reconnected and reconciled with the source of our redemption. You know what I'm saying? Like the only way to actually get to that place of redemption is when we begin to realize we cannot fix the problems on our own. So we said in the beginning of this message, the great miracle of coming into a relationship with God, and this has happened to people all around this room, is that when we get it right, we stop living for our own glory. And we actually find joy in living for His glory. So we've come through this book of Genesis. In the beginning, God brought chaos into order. In the fall, humanity brought order back into chaos. And you can read the rest of the Bible and you can live the rest of your life working on this question. And here it is. Whose glory am I living for? That is the question. So I would invite you to this prayer. Because we're not doing this on our own. We actually have divine help in the midst. The prayer is this. I want you to to listen to these words. If it helps you to close your eyes, close your eyes, but I want you to hear these words. This is the prayer, okay? Jesus, help me to get off of the exhausting treadmill of building a name for myself. Somebody listening to this message or somebody in this room just had a huge weight lifted off your shoulder. Because I'm telling you, it is crippling and it is exhausting to live for your own glory. And I also know some of us, we're gonna, we, we gotta learn that the hard way. <laughs> you know, God has wonderful ways of keeping us humble, but some of us are gonna have to learn that the hard way. My prayer is that you would be able to say, God, teach me that. So let me say it again. Jesus, Help me to get off the exhausting treadmill of building a name for myself. And then here we'll make it real practical, real simple. Show me the big and little ways that I can live for your glory. Show me the big and little ways that I can live for your glory. So you know what I love about that? That that prayer is unique as you are. 
God doesn't want you to look like me and doesn't want me to look like you. He wants us to bring glory to him in the way that we live. But we got to get ourselves out of the way. That is the story, as ancient as the Tower of Babel. So next week, here's a, here's a real encouragement for you. Next week, uh, we're going to start into Advent, season of preparation. Here's the beauty, beautiful tie-in. From the time of Babel until now, we have not been able to fix our own human hearts. We cannot do that on our own. But as we read through the biblical account, what we find is this, that help would come from God himself. That the redemption that we long for would be possible. Just not by us and not for our glory. But God would enter the story. That's the beauty of Jesus, what he's done for us. And that's what we're going to celebrate in our next series as we go through Advent. So don't miss that. I would like you, if you would, as we close, uh, would you just stand up? I just want to pray for you. I'm going to pray quickly. Uh, I'm going to pray over you, but I, I trust that maybe there's some business that you need to do with the Lord today. So you can receive that, hands open, and just say, okay, Lord, here, here I am. So let's just, let me just pray this for you. And you put words to this. Jesus, we want to get off the exhausting treadmill of building a name for ourselves. In the name of Jesus, we declare that to be true. And we also declare it to be true that we need some help in this department because, frankly, we are used to building a name for ourselves. So many of us are probably not in a great habit of even understanding how to do this well. And so, Jesus, good shepherd, would you guide us? Would you teach us? Would you gently correct us? And Lord, I ask that from the youngest person in this room to the oldest, that there would be maybe just a little bit more fire, a little bit more excitement to say, you know, God wants to bring glory to himself through me. Now I've got a purpose. I've got something to live for. And if God wants to put me on a big stage, he'll put me on a big stage. It doesn't matter because it's about his glory and not, not mine. And if, if I never get noticed for what I do for him, for the kingdom, I'm just going to be faithful, unseen and faithful. I'm seen by my Father. And what I care about is his glory. That's a, that's a healthy place to be. So help us with that, Lord, we ask. In Jesus' name. And we love you. Amen. Let's sing about the living hope that we have in Jesus. Are you glad for the living hope we have in Christ today? Amen.